Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always, I'm joined by Ocean Collins. Hello Park, second last one of the season, but ready to go. Don't forget everyone, the Second Row Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, literally every podcasting app there is. So please rate, like, subscribe, leave a note, tell a friend, all those things are really important. So this week we're talking about the Pro 14 semi-finals and the Champions Cup qualifier. But before we do, some news from the rugby world this week and a really good news story coming out of Galway. You have got your planning permission for the sports ground, Porik. Yep, it is party time in Galway. It is great news. Leo Varadkar was down for the announcement. Everyone is in great form. We just now need to worry about that small matter of the 20 million to get the project actually built. <laughs> I saw Robin Copeland on Twitter uh, getting very excited. So maybe you can send him down to the supermarket to pack shopping bags or something. Any way to make money helps. But I've heard strong rumours that we're eligible for that national grant. So it's just a matter of crossing the T's and dotting the I's and getting that over the line. Mm, That'd be nice. Someone else who certainly had a good season of getting over the line, James Ryan for Leinster, had the honour of being the youngest player ever to win the Players Player of the Year, as well as picking up the Young Player of the Year award. Like, this guy just goes from strength to strength. He's a freak of nature, isn't he? Like, no one is that good at that age. He's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, you look at the other winners in the night. Jack Carty, Fans Player of the Year. Kira Griffin and Amy Lee Murphy-Crow from the women's setup. Uh, Terry Kennedy as well from the men's sevens team. But James Ryan is probably streets ahead of, of all of those players in terms of the level of recognition and the success he's seen in the game. No one that young should have that many accolades. It's just not fair. <laughs> Uh, another accolade is being handed out to uh, a Saracens player, uh, kind of just the king of making Saracens likable. Alex Good going on a pretty memorable party to celebrate Saracens winning the European Champions Cup last weekend. Like he eventually surfaced at some point on Tuesday afternoon. It's not the fact that he surfaced, it's the fact that he surfaced without his kit on. He went three days on the beer <laughs> in his Saris kit from the match. That's just applause worthy type of stuff. We salute you, Alex, you absolute lunatic. (laughs) And speaking of absolute lunatics, Dean Ryan has taken over the poison chalice that is Dragons. Well, it's certainly a better job than Bernard Jackman has landed in. He's coaching Bechtiv next year and a bit of a step down, but kind of a similar step down for Dean Ryan, who at one stage was in the frame for the England job and is now coaching the poorest performing of the Welsh regions. Well, he was the former head of international player development at the RFU. And also with his role, he has a seat on the board with Dragons. So he'll be able to implement fundamental change of how the club was run. Well, there's some fundamental changes needed. But speaking of fundamentals and fundamentalists, uh, Israel Falau has finally, officially had his contract terminated. So he'll obviously take some time to consider his options, maybe have an out pray uh, and see what God wants him to do with this. There are rumours that he was offered one or two million to just walk away from his contract. And he said, no, I'm going to fight this. Goodbye and please never grace the rugby field again. I still don't think we've heard the end of this. I think it's going to get even more legal. But again, all we can say is that it's brilliant to see Rugby Australia, the Waratahs and the Australian rugby community taking such a strong line on this. Rugby is an inclusive sport. It is for everybody. And these type of open opinions just aren't welcome. Nope. So what was welcome was a bit of rugby action this weekend after last week's European disappointment. And we had two entertaining semis anyway. The first one on Friday night, Glasgow hosting Ulster and putting down a marker, 50 points to 20. This was not what I expected. This was a rout. This was 
annoying to watch, to be honest, as a Connacht fan. I was so frustrated watching Ulster capitulate in Scotstown after how they dismantled us effectively in Belfast. No, it was a good day at the office. Like Conceding seven tries is just not on. And Ulster really only got into this game in the last 20 minutes when the game was so far beyond them that it was basically irrelevant. And Glasgow could have won this by a lot more. They were just very pragmatic in the first half. It's a knockout match. Just win the game first and then we'll put on a show. And that's effectively what they did. It had touches of the All Blacks in terms of go out, grind a team down. The physicality, the ball retention was just amazing. I think Ulster had like 14% of the ball in the first 20 minutes and Glasgow just were powdering them every time in carries and then in tackles as well. They were so up for it. But the thing is, they weren't afraid of Ulster. I know they had a wind advantage, but they just kept kicking the ball to them going, all right, attack from down there, see what you can do. And Ulster could do absolutely nothing. So a bit of a reshuffle for Ulster at the kickoff. Obviously, Jacob Stockdale went back to the wing. Mike Lowry coming in at 15 after Balakun was withdrawn late. And I'm not sure I didn't hear why that happened. But, you know, a bit of a mix up from what they were doing. And Stockdale had as bad a performance as his haircut. It was atrocious. I think this must have been the single worst game of Stockdale's rugby career. Knock-ons, just offensive reads all over the shop. He was a passenger for Ulster. He was genuinely poor. And I think, to be fair, Ulster's entire backline was a bit of a passenger. I genuinely didn't realise Stuart McCloskey was playing at times. He was so out of the game. Marshall was very ineffective. The ball didn't really get outside of John Cooney and Billy Burns. No, and at times Cooney was just so slow. He was getting pickpocketed coming out of the rook. Once in the first half, which was unforgivable. And in the second half, he was just lucky that Lacey got a a poor knock-on call wrong because it happened again. But look, it wasn't just physicality. Some of the passing and the handling and the running lines for Glasgow's tries were superb. Tommy Seymour showed the type of form that had him the top try scorer for the Lions Tour two years ago. He was absolutely everywhere and just burning people on the outside for the first try. And he looked really good. Then on the other wing, Van der was running some really smart lines, creating the space of Price to score his first try. Just think about it, a 9 and 11 versus a 4 and 5. There's only one outcome with pace. Glasgow just made it look far too easy, though. Like, the handling from Hastings, who was just such a creative menace throughout the whole game, he was able to pick Ulster apart at ease. I think he only made one bad option across the game for me. And that's saying something. Across a full 80 minutes, you're 10 only taking one poor option. That's, That's pretty big. Definitely. And the back line were the kind of stars of the first half, with the exception of that monster try where after a sequence of heavy carries by Fagerson brothers and Callum Gibbons Rob Hardy just crashed over through about three tacklers under the posts way too soft calling them tacklers is an insult to people who actually <laughs> tackle because I don't know what they're trying to do because stopping the try wasn't it like it was just not on and that was the first half and then in the second half it went from bad to worse yeah, the, the bottles of champagne were getting popped and Glasgow decided to go, we can play rugby like that too. And the tries were just spectacular. Oh, that fifth try was something else, wasn't it? Like the little chip over the top, hogs off, blowed. How many, like, what do they have, a six on one to run through? So many players just sprinting through. But still, Ulster scrambled back, but, you know, no one decided to physically tackle someone. 
Kyle Stane running through those last two defenders like they were made out of paper mache was mortifying as an Irish rugby fan. It was mortifying as a rugby fan. <laughs> Come here. So are the Horn brothers actually telepathic as well? Because there's no way that Peter Horn and George Horn don't have some sort of psychic connection to get that try. They're definitely not twins. So we know there isn't that naturally born instinct there. But it was incredible. That's what I like to see off penalty advantage. Scrum halves and outhalves going, sod it. There's space there. I'm going to kick it there. And it's up to everyone else on my team to be there. And that's what the Horn brothers pulled off. Something a bit genuinely creative rather than just relying on, oh, we'll just keep pushing one-up runners, one-up runners, one-up runners, as we'll come to later in this game. Um, look, Ulster did get a couple of tries back. As it said, the game is over at this stage, but Kutsia crashed over with a good carry. Uh, Herring got over on the back of a maul. And Mike Lowry made a nice try out of a good break by Reedy as well. But it was just far, far, far too little too late against a Glasgow side who'd, you know, pretty much decided they were in the final and they were picking out celebratory songs. If I was an Ulster fan, I'd be looking for Travacost back off that Ulster branch. It was a really disappointing match, really disappointing performance. Sure, even the air commentary team were calling it an embarrassment and Tommy Bow, an Ulster man, didn't stop them. Yeah, I just think that Glasgow went out here to make a statement to blow Ulster off the pitch and they found very little resistance in doing so. Like, I don't have a lot that Ulster can take from this game. Having said that, as a season as a whole, getting to the semi-final is a great outcome, but they will be really, really disappointed with themselves in terms of how they showed up here and Glasgow will march on to the final. With heaps of confidence, and why wouldn't they? They play such a creative game and they're packed can have very powerful performances and this was one of them i'm intrigued to see the final now next week i'll be over in glasgow for the match so i'm looking forward to the atmosphere everything it should be great well at least you'll have an irish team to cheer on in the final uh leinster v munster on saturday afternoon was our other semi-final and a slightly glossed up scoreline 24 points to nine to leinster probably a little closer than that certainly the first half was I don't think Leinster's play overall warranted a 15-point margin, but they definitely warranted the win. They were on top pretty much throughout the game in one form or another. They had the perfect start, a couple of minutes in, three points, handy for Osborne to take. CJ Stander going a bit too high. And that trend continued throughout the game. It was Munster's ill-discipline as much as anything else that made Leinster so potent. Leinster were able to create but a lot less than normal. Munster were, like, as we've said all season, defensively our patterns aren't bad, but the Munster team got disciplined so badly wrong in this game that Leinster just had to keep ticking over kickable penalties. Yeah, and unlike last week, Leinster were mixing up their play really nicely. Tip on passes, some good set piece moves, but like you said, the Munster defence was good, and your scramble especially was very good when Leinster did make a line break. One of the stats I saw from this game was Leinster had 10 clean line breaks to Munster's one. Well, it's not like you need any extra motivation for a Munster player than a Leinster man breaking the line. Um, they were certainly up for this, and you could tell in the first half, particularly, it was very attritional. Like, it was a hugely physical game, and nobody was giving an inch. And it was easy to tell this was going to be a physical game, especially for Munster's part, given how they picked their back row. Stander, Botha, and O'Mahony, that's a back row to try and Saracens Leinster again, and it didn't seem to work. <laughs> It didn't. Like, we picked a team of scrappers in a lot of ways, and there was so little artifice to what we were doing from an attacking perspective. What was strange was Munster had, I would argue, 
set piece dominance across scrum and line out, although the line out was a bit of a lottery for both teams. But we weren't able to convert that into anything, largely because we seemed to run out of ideas and get smothered by Leinster's line speed. Yeah, it was really frustrating to watch Munster after five or six phases kind of go, what next? And not seem to have answers for that. It didn't help that Van der Flyer, back from injury, just seemed to go, that's my ball, pretty much any time he wanted to. Like like he had never been gone, like he'd been playing every week. He His ability to come back, and I think he played something like 60, 70 plus, 70 plus minutes. It was outrageous. He won man the match, and I'm not surprised. His performance was incredible, and he had try-saving turnovers for Leinster's at the time. As much as we are kind of giving out about Munster's attack, they were in good positions. They were getting into 22, but Leinster were like, no, we've had enough with you now, and we'll just take the ball back. And if it wasn't Vanderfleer, it was Scott Fardy who came on for a nasty knee injury or what looked like it for Def Toner and was another back rower for Leinster on the pitch. He was immense again. He has been such an astute signing for Leinster. They're the type of international quality players you want to bring in to boost your squad for this time of the season and for next year's World Cup when the likes of Toner and Ryan are going to be gone. You're going to have Fardy like, marshalling this Leinster pack. Like, It's incredible. It is. A quick word on the yellow cards. Both pretty fair. Yeah, lows like the way they're being ref these days. Definitely yellow card. Like, but there was a three man overlap outside him as well. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Like, I just think the way they're being ref. I think if there was a one man overlap, would have been a yellow. Mm. That's just the way they're being ref. He can have no arguments whatsoever. And now Scannell picking a pretty stupid line to run back around the rock and getting the ball whipped at him. My favorite thing was he was like, "But I'm just trying to get back," and the ref's like, "Nah, stop. Just stop. Just no." I, I had a degree of sympathy for him. He was just trying to get back. It certainly wasn't a deliberate thing, but it was incredibly naive. It's one of those things, when you're coming back on side from that position, you have to make sure you're not blocking play. He didn't, by any means. Yeah, you, you, you have to be whiter than white. And he was greyer than grey. <laughs> a word on Leinster's couple of tries. The really impressive thing for me about the Sean Cronin try was just the nature of the build-up, like, Keen Healy and Tyke Furlong carrying and passing the ball like centres in the build-up to it. They were ridiculous. I actually thought Henshaw and Ringrose have put on a ton of weight since last week because <laughs> Healy like, straightened up the line really well with a good pass and then Furlong with a step, a give-and-go, draws in defenders and then gives it to Cronin. Like, that stuff's just brilliant. Like It really is. Like it, There's no it, other word for it. It's absolutely outrageous. It, should be, it shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> props be it's props. fair. <laughs> Well, you know what? They could maybe do a better job in the centre than Henshaw and Ringrose did for the final because those two had another poor game. They were outshone by Scannell and Farrell on the opposite team. Yeah, but for all Scannell and Farrell's good work, where was the final pass? Where was that final bit of spark to get something from Munster? A lot of balls died in Munster centres, whereas Henshaw was making turnovers, Ringrose was getting the ball out to low on the wing. You know, there was a there was more effective distribution from Leinster centres than Munsters, even if Munsters were causing a bit more trouble. Yeah, individually, I think that's probably fair. I was disappointed with how little they were able to bring Keith Earls and Andrew Conway into the game. They were relatively quiet, and Earls looked so dangerous every time he did have the ball. It was just about four times in the entire game, which isn't good enough. Like we were saying, the Munsters' attack plan seemed to be get the ball to Carberry and Earls, and. Mm. Leinster went, well, to get the ball to Earls, they've got to go through Carberry. So anytime he gets the skit, he gets the ball. Let's kill him. Let's, Let's absolutely him. <laughs> kill him. And they just murdered Carberry for the full game 
legally. Like, he was getting wrapped man and ball time and time again. He was. And you know what? Leinster put up that 10-point lead and it felt comfortable for them, which obviously being a Munster fan in the RDS felt really uncomfortable for me. But they never looked like giving that up. And James Lowe with another poachers finish at the end running over players and a couple of really soft tackles that he ran through to get a try in the last play of the game yeah and every single thing he gets involved with he just seems to love his rugby so much he's got that big grin on his face that must wind up opposition players so 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 much yeah and he you know he 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 earns his own luck whereas Munster couldn't buy luck like even the block down where did the ball bounce directly into touch it was just a pain yeah i think he could have got a foot to it to kind of try and control a bit more but it's stuff like that that good teams get and make their own breaks where monster not that they're a bad team they're just at one or two percent below leinster at the moment but when I, when you're at when you're talking that type of quality though that might as well be a hundred percent or fifty percent it's just one or two percent is just enough to beat a team by 15 points well, it's, bi- it's binary for me. You either are or you aren't good enough. The difference of how much is kind of irrelevant. Look, look at Munster's season on a whole. They've reached the semifinals of their league comfortably, semifinal stage in Europe. At the end of the day, that means they're a top four team in all of the competitions they're in. And while it's obviously disappointing, we want to be contesting finals, we want to be winning trophies, it's still a hell of a lot better than a lot of coaches are able to say at the end of a season. Oh, definitely. And... If this was year one under this coach, I think you could be able to say that. But last year, semi-finals. Year before that, semi-finals. Year before that, semi-finals. There's got to be a point where contextualizing things as we're a top four team, is that good enough? I think the introduction of a new attack coach should bring you on another step. But there's something, I won't say missing, but it feels like what's going on. Yeah, we're we're able to get to a certain level, but we haven't been able to break that kind of glass ceiling. And that is incredibly frustrating. And I think that's the target, but it's worth kind of not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like this isn't a bad team. This isn't a team in crisis. It's a team that are up in a really, really competitive league against a team of Leinster's class, a team of Saracen's class. Look, we're not there. We're not at the same level as those teams. Had we beaten Leinster in the semi-final here, or had we beaten Saracens in the European semi-final, it would have been robbery. But we want to be able to beat them on merit, and that's going to need another revolution. Yeah, definitely, because you have some really good core things to work from. Your scrum's good. The line-out was decent, like we said earlier on. And there are good individual players scattered across the team. They're international quality players throughout Munster. They just need someone to pull it together a bit more. And I think the new attack coach is the next step in that progression. Fingers crossed. And I mean, from Leinster's point of view, we saw how good their back row were. Their bench made a huge impact. Uh, Sexton and Fardy coming on, making a massive difference. Um, and again, their ability to handle the ball effectively and hold on to possession, so, so important. But they'll need to work on their set piece for next week, particularly their scrum, or Glasgow are going to have a field day in the scrum and the line let's be honest I'd say Cronin was uh, very happy that the throwing straight was being refed loosely to say the least at times it was a real comparison because you had Niall Scannell there whose line out throwing is excellent and he made Cronin look very poor by comparison in that particular regard when teams are going for little dummy throws to the front and stuff like that to kind of just really put the monster defence on edge you know they're worried about their line out but they march on 
Leinster versus Glasgow in the final in Celtic Park. Which should be a cracking game if the two teams can really live up to their own expectations and their own abilities. So there was one other Pro 14 game this weekend. The Welsh bare-knuckle boxing match to see who got to go into the Champions Cup next year. Ospreys v Scarlets and Ospreys ran out fairly comfortable 21 points to 10 winners. Yeah, this game after 10-20 minutes was Ospreys to lose. They controlled possession for the first opening 7-10 minutes getting a try because Scarlett just had to break at one point. Like, did you see Halfpenny's try-saving tackle after three minutes? Chase down Keelan Giles. It was phenomenal. I just, I was, I thought there was no way Giles was going to get caught there. I was watching this live going, try, 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 try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, he got caught. Fair enough. Like, credit to Halfpenny. He had a really good game here. Definitely. Shame no one else on his team was playing to his level. Well, Osprey's first try, which Dan Evans scored, came from, like, a truly truly diabolical kick from uh, Ewan Nicholas. He just threw the ball after getting put in a really difficult position by Jonathan Davies, dings the ball down low trajectory into midfield. Evans catches it, breaks the line and Ollie Cracknell is on his shoulder to wander over for the easiest try he will ever score. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Like Cracknell was like, I'm allowed to score from here. How is this house has been allowed to happen? I don't know what's going on. Yeah, he kind of just, he was hovering around there and then the play just caught back up with him and he was like, oh, okay. To say that kick was poor is an understatement because you can't kick the ball to Dan Evans. The player who has the most metres run in the Pro 14 this season, that loosely. Well, it was just an example of the lack of rugby intelligence on show from Scarlet, particularly in contrast to how smart the Ospreys were playing. Like This Ospreys team has Alan Wynne-Jones, Justin Tipperick, and, you know, a core of players who are absolutely, you know, students of the game in a sense. Like they just make good decisions. Whereas this Scarlet's team is best epitomized by Gareth Davies, the headless chicken to end all headless chickens. Yeah, like Amal goes down and he's there trying to pull out a ball, trying to buy a penalty, which by the way, he could have taken out and passed. Yep. He was just trying to buy a penalty. Dan Liddy just had two hands on it going, well, it's a mall, I can hold on to it, no problem. I did think that that ball had hit the ground, at which point it becomes a ruck. So I think Liddy had got away with it there. But again, smart play. You play the referee, and if you're going to try and pull something like that off, and Ben Whitehouse is going to let you away with it, then of course you're going to benefit. Definitely, and one of the big talking points from that first half was the yellow card. For me, that's a yellow. Harold Dirksen does hook Johnny McNichol's arm, McNichol does land on his shoulder. It's a competition for the ball, but at the end of the day, if someone wins it, you've got to make sure you're not wrapping around them. So the TMO had to give Ben Whitehouse the answer to this because they couldn't get a screen working. Congratulations. Uh, But he said that Dirksen was never in a realistic position to catch the ball, which I think is really harsh because he was perfectly positioned to catch the ball until Johnny McNichol, like, suicide dived into him. And then... The hooking the arm thing to me looked really innocuous. So for me, I thought it was a very harsh yellow and Scarlett's capitalised on it, directly going over for a try in the wing that Dirksen was now vacated from because he was sitting on the sin bin. Did you see Tipperick go down like he was shot trying to buy a penalty? <laughs> no, I didn't spot that one. In the background when the ball is being passed over, all you can see is this blue scrum cap fall to the ground and the referee team had been pointed out this by the TMO and they're looking at it going, there's nothing in that. What's he doing? <laughs> try awarded. It was embarrassing stuff. Yeah, that's not a great look for Tipperick. And the Ospreys didn't have the best start to the second half. They actually seemed like they forgot that they were in the lead. And they were playing like a team who were chasing the game for about 10 or 15 minutes there. 
To be perfectly honest, there was a period in this game where both teams realised whoever wins this will more than likely be in Saracens pulled next season in the Heineken Cup. Do we really want to win? <laughs> yeah. Like Sam Davies certainly was playing like a guy who knows he's not going to be the starting 10 next year uh, and giving the selectors loads of evidence why signing Gareth Anscombe was a great decision. Poor drop goal attempt. Like a block down of a kick. I'm like, what was he playing at? And his kick into touch was like, almost on the full every time it was he, he's a mad. real confidence player though and when he gets a couple of bad dis- kicks or bad decisions it genuinely does seem to like pile up on him and he can't handle the pressure at all well speak about confidence players Patchell then comes on and has such a really weird couple of minutes well Scarlet's do in general Scarlet's win a penalty Patchell then doesn't make touch but even though Scarlet's get the ball back they get turned over the breakdown. Like, this is just simple stuff. But it was just intelligent. Like, the Ospreys were moving them around the park. They were tiring them out. And they just won this game with the top six inches. You know, it was a fully expert performance from the Ospreys led by their pack. Definitely. And when Scarlets were chasing the game, they decided to kick the ball away because that's what you do. Look, some nice running from the Scarlets and Halfpenny was like the highest point of a good back three but they haven't recovered from losing that physical edge that they had last year the likes of Barkley the likes of Tyburn and having Shingler missing for most of the season it's almost like Wayne Pivak decided that's our game plan and I'm not going to take account of the fact that I don't have the resources I need to execute it which is just truly bizarre and if you're reviewing Scarlet season that's a nice way of saying what he's done otherwise you're kind of like his mind's on the Wales job and he's been checked out you hope that's not the case. Yeah, you you really do. But Ospreys were deserved winners here. You could see the international quality of their international players just shine through. Alan Wynne-Jones, Tipperick and Lydia just leading from minute one to minute 80. It's astonishing, really. And it's a really good comeback story for the Ospreys, who had such a bad start to the season that, you know, to overtaking Cardiff in their pool to have got themselves back into Champions Cup contention when they looked dead and buried by Christmas. It's a hell of a comeback. Do you remember there was a point they weren't going to be a club next season? <laughs> yeah. Like, you have to remember that as well. It really is a bit of a fairy tale story in some senses. Yeah, it hasn't been a vintage year, but this is a fairly decent outcome. Whereas for Scarlets, this is like a disaster. You're talking about a team who, this time last season, were in a Champions Cup semi-final. And now they're in the Challenge Cup. Well, who knows? A new manager with a different outlook on the squad he has and how to get the most out of them. The Challenge Cup might be the perfect place for them. Hey, they could go in Claremont next year. You never know. So that was the only rugby we had this weekend. So all we're left to do is hand out the second row top performer and clown of the round. We love hearing these from you guys as well. So get in touch on facebook.com slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. Porik, you've gone for our top performer and I I suspect I know what team it's coming from. Yeah, it's definitely a Glasgow player. That performance was (laughs) impeccable. And it was really difficult for me to pick between Seymour and Hastings. I think they were just really, really good. But for me, it has to be Hastings. His vision, his pass selection... His pass execution was just incredible against Ulster. He just has the ability to to break a line and break a game apart when he's on that type of form. Now, I'm as surprised as anyone that Porik isn't looking for a forward to give this to because the Glasgow pack was incredibly dominant. But with that armchair ride, Hastings executed 
everything. There was great kicking. The break that he got at the end to set up George Horn for a try, like he ghosted through the Ulster line. Like there was no defenders there, which there kind of wasn't for a lot of the game. But take nothing away from it. This kid is having an incredible season and could be the star of the final in a week's time. He is going to have pressure heaped on him now because there's talk of him being better than Finn Russell and... Well, he has now got two second row top performer awards, Porik. That's better than European Player of the Year award right there, I tell you. That's it. I mean, never mind the Midi Olympic Team of the Year. <laughs> he does well, also still have one Cloud of the Round award sitting at the bottom of his cupboard, though. Like you have one of them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, spe- speaking of Clown of the Round, I think I'm going to have to give this one to the Leinster head coach, Leo Cullen, for coming out with some pretty daft and classless statements about Glasgow fans all being Rangers fans. So he's expecting the Celtic crowd to support Leinster next weekend. Like, oh my God, shut up and never stop shutting up. I've seen the video. It does sound more tongue in cheek than it does written down, but seriously, no. You just don't say that. You just just know. <laughs> but if if you say that, someone's going to write it down and then you're going to be in trouble. So no. Like just even if it had been funny, which it wasn't, and even if it had been like tongue in cheek and picked up that way, it still shows a lack of class that is really unbecoming for this Leinster outfit. Uh, there's just so many other things they could have said there. It shows a general lack of awareness, to be perfectly honest, you know. But he wasn't the only clown or clown candidate this week. There are special mentions in that Ospreys and Scarlets game. Oh, yeah. Like, there was a couple of just really daft moments where Corey Allen tried to execute a crossfield kick, except it was backwards and looked more like a GAA pass. And then, again, borrowing from other sports, Luke Price executes some sort of a netball slap on 81 minutes. It was very, very odd. Yeah, but I think... We have two good choices in our second row top performer being Hastings and our clown the round being Leo Cullen. I think those are the best calls. <laughs> and we look forward to the final next week in Celtic Park, Leinster taking on Glasgow. This is a game that could really go either way. It, it totally depends on what type of team gets picked by both and whether Leinster bring the type of form that saw them dismantle Toulouse and put away Munster and whether Glasgow bring the type of form that saw them absolutely obliterate Ulster. Like, this could be great fun. This could be the game of the season, and like as good as the Saracens-Leinster game was, I think this should be a more open game and a lot more tries and show if both teams can really click like we know they can. I'm really looking forward to being over there, to be honest. Uh, the atmosphere at these type of finals is always electric. You've got fans from a load of clubs. I mean, I think we should put you on a Pro 14 jersey spotting challenge. So your mission next weekend, Park, is to try and get a selfie with every Pro 14 jersey. That's grand. I'll have my Connacht one on, so that's one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I suspect your travelling companion might have a blue jersey on. So there's two. That There we go. And, you know, there's monster jerseys at everything. And there is a Benetton <laughs> fan that I know who goes to every single Pro 14 final, which I will be you on the lookout be for. fine. Yeah, that's the challenge, Boric. On the second <laughs> row Twitter, I want 14 selfies. That I can do. Good stuff. Well, that's us then. Yeah, that is us. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week to recap the Pro 14 final and do some season recap chat as well. So until then, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.